1: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
2: And I'm Damian Sassauer. Scarlett's
1: going to join us later. She's out trying to buy several car dealerships right now. <laughs> <laughs> On the lineup today, we're getting tough and we're getting physical. And we're talking two
2: of the most physical contact sports in the world, rugby and boxing. That's right, Michael. Joining us later on the program, we are going to speak with Owen Skinnell, founder and CEO of Premier Rugby Sevens. We'll discuss how the Rugby Sevens is kickstarting a growing interest of the sport here in the U.S. Plus, later on, matchroom president and renowned British sports promoter Eddie Hearn joins us in studio to discuss how he puts together a successful boxing event from, oh my goodness, Wembley, To Madison Square Garden.
1: That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, we're talking basketball. And with the NBA draft now in the rearview mirror, it is time for some of these players to get paid. So joining us now to drop some knowledge on the sports agency business and how to develop professional athletes is Terrell Harris. He is the founder, chairman, CEO of Unique Sports Management International and the father of 76ers forward Tobias Harris. Get out. welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me here today.
1: I-, I want to talk Unique Sports Management International. Tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, so we, we, we've we been in business since 1988, okay? And our goal is a company, you know, we provide contract negotiation where I'm one of the lead negotiators. Um, and we also provide financial planning where we surround our guys with great expert companies like Goldman Sachs, like um Oh, Wells Fargo, you know, um, Merrill Lynch. So we don't surround them with just one company. We surround them with, like, three companies, because I believe that let, let those companies overlook each other. So nobody – So because if you look at in today's business world, sometimes these athletes have one guy, okay, and I, and I find if you go back 20 years from now, a lot of those guys are bankrupt. And I'm like, how can they be bankrupt? Because a lot of times, you know, you just read recently – uh, in the news uh, things that happen for major companies guys, mm-hmm. you know, stealing money and so forth. So I kinda had a, a different a philosophy. I got three. I got three. And then my guys we speak on a quarterly basis to these companies and understand what where their money's at, where their money's being invested. So when they get in a conversation at a social event, people say, Hey man, I'm into this Well they can have a they can have an intelligent conversation with that individual, you know. Um so we do financial planning. We, we do an amazing job doing marketing endorsements. We get our guys, and you know, if you look at Tobias, and yeah. he had the goldfish uh, commercial. <laughs> if you look at Kelly Uber, he has the Oakley commercial, yeah. uh, Oakley endorsement. So we ha- we really get our guys in a lot of marketing, you know, marketing endorsements, and we kind of we kind of just help them. What every day-to-day issues that they may be going through, community service, like I talked mm-hmm. about, we're we heavily believe in that because, you know, these young kids on the, these young kids in the streets, they need a role model. Right. They need a guy saying, "Hey, man, you know, I'm a great basketball player, but I know." That I, I can I got I got to get a college I got to get an education I got to have a plan, plan A I got to have Plan B I got to have Plan C I got to have Plan D <laughs> right. So so that's what that's kind of like giving a little summary about
2: you know what we do Terrell talk to me about you know some of these rookies you know these first years as they come into the NBA What is the Players Association doing to prepare them? For life in the NBA, I mean, now with NIL, with brands, with marketing, I mean, you know this. I mean, there's so much noise. You know, what are you telling your clients? What 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 should first year uh, NBA up and comers be aware of? Well, well, the,
3: well, the NBA Play
2: Association. What they do, they
3: have an introduction, and they, t- they they have these meetings and tell players what to look out for, or watch all the different cons in the game mm-hmm. that's going to come at them, all the different people is going to come at them. But then after that, it's up to their agents. It's up to the agents to, to say keep your – well, for me, if I would say keep keep your circle small, okay, and understand that you're a chairman of your, your corporation. And so being a chairman, you have to be a professional player on the basketball court, got to be on time, you know, you got to – Team bus leave, you need to be early for that. The little things, uh, you you know, if you're trying to establish yourself in the league, be the first one to practice, be the last one to leave. And then off the court, you know, you want to be a professional off the court. And I feel, and with all my clients, I've been doing this going on my 35th year, I Mm. feel like players are, you know, they're role models. So, you know, there's kids. There's just like they were when they were young pro people talk to them and encourage them and mentor them They have to do the same back same thing and, and give back to the community Don't just say oh, well, I got all my money. I'm living the life no give back And so one, one thing that we I encourage all my players, you know, what do you want to give back? You know, then we try to put a, a plan around you know a mission statement around they're giving back into the community. Everybody has different. You know, Tobias, for instance, he wants to give. He wants to give back literacy. He wants to t- right. teach kids how you know to be educated in literacy. So he provides in, he provides um, tutoring for kids, computer for kids. You know, and, and he's he's all into it. He's hands on. So that's, that's so that when you, when you do that, you you take responsibility as a, a, a role model, you know, and then and then be a professional because at the end of the day, if you look at Bill Gates, you look at all these top um, chairmen, you know, they handle themselves as a professional, on, you know, in their business and off their business.
1: Well, and you you made the the key points. Is that that's just not for any NBA athlete what you said. You take that, uh, hey, youngins out there! If you want to try to succeed in your career, be the first one in, be the last exactly. one exactly. You know, there's so many examples of what you can do, and and try to be. You know, let's put it this way: it in order to be the best, you got to work at it exactly. And and that's something that you know everybody out there can take. Which brings us to your son Tobias, who is a great player. I'm probably going to get in trouble with the 76ers <laughs> league and the league here. It's like, do they use your son the way they should?
3: Uh, personally, I don't think so. Uh, and the reason I say that, well, Tobias isn't an assassin scorer. I mean, mm-hmm. he can they can't stop him. Nobody in the league can stop him. Mm-hmm. So he has proven that uh, over his career. You know, uh, even when he was with the uh, the Clippers, he was assassin scorer. And they traded him for Blake Griffin. And people were like, oh, boy, we're just tanking now. But guess what? He led him to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then he traded him because he got too good. They, they, you know, they offered $80 million. I turned down the $80 million. And they say, wow, what, what are you looking for? I said, well, I want about $35 million a year. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Five, yeah, I said $35 million a year. So, well, we're not going to pay you that. So they traded him to the uh to the Sixers. Ever since they traded him to the Sixers, they put him in the corner. They took away, I mean, so they, they took away uh they didn't utilize him. That he was not a priority in their offense. And that's kind of frustrating cuz if you are, if you a kick, kick kick butt player,
1: right? I know you, uh, you said it right. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: I did not want you know <laughs> on the radio, you know. But like if you a kick up, but you don't you don't want to be in a corner and it's twiddling your Um, And so I I just think that um, when they gave him opportunities like, you know, there was a stretch like Joel in play and James Harden in play for like fifteen games. He led the team average over twenty-five right. points. Then they come back, okay, well, okay, you gotta go back in the corner. Then in the playoffs against Brooklyn, somebody got hurt and Tobias led him in that whole series where he destroyed Brooklyn, shut down shut down bridges in that in that in that game. And then, you know, it's just like when they need him, he performs. And what I what is get frustrating the fans? Fans don't really see how great he, a player he really is on a consistent basis just when they, they need him to do that. So as a player, Tobias is such a professional. Hey, I'll just do what they ask me to do. That's what they want to do. I'm not going to frown. I'm not going to complain. I'm a team guy. Tobias is all about want to win a championship. Yeah. And he's always been like that even through high school. And he's like, you know, I'm going to put my ego to the side and I'm going to do what's right for the team. And a lot of a lot of a lot of people don't understand that but if you look at his analytics on him there's four players in the history of the NBA Larry Bird mm-hmm. Dirk Nowitzki Kawhi Leonard and KD uh small forwards I'm talking about right. has been a 90 uh, ni- uh 90 50 40 player right. in the history of the NBA there's only four and nobody talks about Tobias right. and right. when I bring it up to them Oh, we don't need to talk about that. (laughs) So my question has always been, nobody can give me an answer. Why is he not utilized in their – why is he not a priority in their offense? Well, well,
2: Toro, you know, let's hit on that, you know, NBA player, you know, young player, parent relationship, right? I, I I, don't know if you saw the movie Air, Sonny Vaccaro, Dolores yes. Jordan, yeah. you know, Dolores Jordan. Yeah. You know, that relationship, you know, you take yourself out of the parent, you know, the father-son relationship you have with, you know, you know, that you have right. and the relationship that David Falk has to have or you have to have with, you know, someone who's not yourself with another client. Right. You know, when you're, you, you said, keep it small, keep the circle small, you know, would you rather deal with, you know, a Michael Jordan, you know, where the parents are so involved? Does that make your life easier as the agent or does that make things a little bit more challenging for you? Because you've been there and you know how hard it is to be a parent and you have your own opinions of what your child should be doing out there. Right. And yet you're trying to make a decision economically that's in that client's bed. Talk to us about how you kind of pull yourself out of that and make those decisions.
3: Well, a couple of things. Um, I have a, I have another client, Kelly Ubrey. Who's yeah. a great, great, great player? Yep. Great, great player, and he's a free agent this summer. Um, we, you know, we, we just try to do just explain the facts to them. The, you know, like what's going on. Like you explain that we run, we run analytics on them. So here's the analytics where, where you're at. Here's what you need to improve in. Here's what you're doing well in. OK, here's what your off court issues, right? Here's the things that we don't like. Maybe you have too many friends that shouldn't be in your circle. Right. OK, so you know what? That's, that's that. These friends that's not shouldn't be in your circle, that's, that's narrow that down
2: to, you know. It's a hard conversation to have with a client, right? I mean, some yeah, of these people yeah. they've grown up with, they're friends for life. It's hard to, you know, to, you know, I mean, but, how do you. Well,
3: you... you have to set the boundaries, like the, the boundaries, like I'm here to help you and help you grow not only as a basketball player but prepare you for when life after basketball and so that's more that's the most important with these guys you know they play basketball and then uh they play it all the time and then when their career is over it they have nothing to fall upon what we try to do with our company is prepare our guys for the second career while they're pursuing their uh, first career and so and that's a big that's a big help because if we get them involved with so many corporations, so many businesses, so much, so much uh, business opportunity, like their transition would be easier. And they got to realize you're not going to meet billionaires and a lot of millionaires in, in the course of 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 your time. You're going to meet a lot this during your season. So make relationships with people. And like Kelly, I mean, he's just an amazing guy. He's just amazing, like Tobias. I mean, he's a hard worker. he got a family of two children. He has matured so much that it's unbelievable. And so once you do that, parents say, like, hey, oh, wow, you're a blessing to us. You are truly a blessing. And most important, we try to instill in our God, you got to put God first. You got to do that, you know, because without the blessings of God, you wouldn't even be where you're at. So that's that's and, and that's how we caught kind of, and then they respect where we're coming from. You know, they they look at me, I got I have I have six kids, all of them got division one scholarship, all of them all right. successful. I represent George Ashman, Gervin, I represent Lynette Woodard, I represent Cliff Robertson, I represent over eighteen guys playing in the National Basketball Associations that's been successful today. And all these guys we have relationships even to today. So we, we we as our company, we just don't look at getting a client. We really I consider Myself a lifestyle manager, not just an agent.
1: I always think what you just said. I always think about my father, God rest his soul. He served in World War II and all the other stuff. And he told me the best advice ever. He said, Son, I gave you this name, Bar. Don't embarrass me. (laughs) Yes, sir. Don't don't go out there and do something stupid. You know, it's like this is, and, and which goes back to what you're saying.
2: Choose your friends and choose your friends wisely. Yes, sir, for sure.
1: You're exactly right. Well, well, Michael,
2: you might not know this, but Torrell was just recently inducted into the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame, and he won the Lifetime Achievement Award. Torrell, talk to us about that. I mean, what does that mean? You know, I mean, that was just in April, no? Yes,
3: April 23rd. Oh, yeah, that was a great... that was a great achievement what was great uh i was you know got into the basketball hall of fame yeah. um i mean i was a really good basketball player like i told people <laughs> <laughs> i could shoot i could shoot the lights out uh, but what's really was um that was was really was more important to me that they gave me the barry kramer lifetime achievement award and that says a lot because I appreciate that award just as, as well as the Basketball Hall of Fame because um, I'm really big on giving back, mentoring people, giving back to the community. And I didn't really recognize that people, you know, seeing what I'm doing. So that just shows you a lot of people see what you're doing because I don't really try to uh, toot my horns in that. Um you know, every year we have a benefit that we uh, we raise scholarship money for foster cares and disadvantaged kids in Long Island, and so um, that, that you know it was just an amazing uh, uh, feeling. Over five hundred people came, and all my my kids came, and then, you know they like. Oh, uh, you know your kids that don't sometimes know how good you was. You know they forget. Oh, you know you <laughs> yeah. was. Oh, come on, you know you was. You know you were how good with you. You know and then they say,
1: always <laughs> <laughs> oh, gonna get the challenge from the youngins, man. You know.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so they's like, oh wow,
3: you was that good. You could you could play. So, but like I said, um, both of those awards was amazing, and I'm so blessed and thankful. You know, to God He put me in those positions to receive that award. So that's that's really. That that really was touching.
1: Terrell Harris, chairman, Unique Sports Management International, father of Tobias Harris. Use him right, (laughs) Billy! Did I say that out loud? I said it out loud. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you, sir, for coming on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We appreciate
3: it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you.
1: Up next on the show, we grab an oval-shaped ball and toss it around the pitch as we sit down with the founder and CEO, of Premier Rugby 7's Owen Scannell. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
5: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
1: Steeple Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
6: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
1: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
2: I'm Scarlett Foo. And I'm Damian Sassauer.
1: Rugby in the United States is having a moment, though maybe we won't see it in full until 2031, when the USA will make history as we become the first North American nation to host the Men's Rugby World Cup, and then again in 2033, when the women come to town for their World Cup.
2: Yeah, but unfortunately, Michael, um, yeah, the U.S. won't be represented at this year's Men's Rugby World Cup in France in September uh, because they failed to qualify.
1: Ooh, yeah, but Damien, 2025, 2027, still on the it table. is still on the table, baby! Woo! And as former USA rugby player Dan Lyle put it, the U.S. is the perfect place for the sport of rugby to grow. I think in a lot of ways, America is a bridge to the world. Every culture is here. I think that's why it would have record attendances, record profitability. It's an exciting time for America to become the centerpiece for this sport. Ooh, music and everything! And so, joining us now to talk about the growing popularity of this sport in America is Owen Scannell, founder and CEO of Premier Rugby Sevens. Owen, thank you so much, man, for coming here on the Bloomberg
4: Business. Of sport. Thanks, Michael, for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Rugby! Now, that's what I call—I'll be honest—the crazy version of football because <laughs> you have no padding. You got this football, and you got a bunch of mean guys coming at you. Full speed. I, I'd feel comfortable with padding. There's no We're padding helmet, there. for that matter. <laughs> Nothing. Well,
2: well, but they don't hit above the shoulders now. Come on, now they—they they, you know they know they know they can hurt you really.
1: Yes, because because we all know that uh, being hit below the belt is just nice and soft. Uh, <laughs> I, I know. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I love the uh, the blood. I'm not gonna lie. It's like, but th- you got some tough
4: dudes. And, and, and that. And dudettes, I was going to say. Very playing important, this yeah. game, I mean, God bless them all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most exciting games to watch out there. Um, you know, I think the, the, the players who play are some of the best athletes on the planet, really. I mean, there's people out there and they ha- really don't have a lot of, of fear when they come to you know, it comes to the contact point. So it, it's really an exciting game. If you're a football fan, you'll love to watch rugby. Oh, sure.
1: yeah. I, I I love it. It's like any time I can catch a rugby match, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I love you, Barry Sanders, but you didn't do that. <laughs>
0: and what makes uh, the Premier Rugby 7 special is that it's men's and women's teams competing under one umbrella. Tell us a little bit more about the organization, the structure of this uh, league.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the coolest things about rugby and, and the, the sport broadly, not just sevens, is the fact that it's the same rules for men and women. So there aren't really, you know, it's there's no reduction in the level of contact. There's no modifications for, you know, to, to incorporate it's just female athletes. It's, it's just as painful. It's just as intense. Uh, it's just as fun. Um, you know, the I think it is one of the, um, you know, only sports that does it. And the way that we've uh, set up our competitions, we're one of the first competitions out there really predicated on the notion of, of equity and equality um, pay is the first component of that um, it's you know obviously a, a top line issue but there's a lot of levels to that right it's it's perf- you know access to coaching it's it's uh f- high performance facilities travel logistics etc right the we infrastructure. have equi- infrastructure exactly yeah. we've set that up from the beginning to be totally equal so when we have male and female athletes they're competing under the same team brand umbrellas'd be like you know the example I think would be like if the Knicks and the Liberty both played under a common brand and had a men's team and a women's team. Mm-hmm. Um, that is you know, and they play for combined stakes. So we have a United Championship where teams actually will play men's matches and women's matches, but those points kind of similar to Formula One in some respects, where they will compete and have those aggregate results added up for you know the performance of that team. So talk to me about
2: rugby in the U.S. Here, this is my question, right? The U.S. did not make the World Cup, which is going to be held at the end of the year in France, right? I mean. You know, is it because we don't have a, like a junior league like like your like rugby sevens here in the U.S. and more more to the point like an Antoine Dupont you know who's lighting it up in France mm-hmm. right and obviously they're they're the host at the end of the year, I mean he's drawing huge huge crowds in mm-hmm. France like who is the next U.S. emerging rugby star and is your league going to be host to him?
4: I think absolutely. I mean, I I think our thesis on on the sport of rugby generally, right, is that um, and it's it's probably worth just taking one step back and talking about the two versions of of rugby union here. But um, rugby union has two types. There's rugby 15s, which is the the all blacks, the Invictus, you know, what you what you expect. Springbok. The the Springboks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Sometimes people don't know (laughs) that that might be the second cut um, in that. But. Um, no rugby rugby sevens is the other type right That's the version in the Olympics um, that's the, played with less than half the players. I'd say it's kind of analogous to three on three hockey in terms of a style in yeah. terms of a format um, where you know it's possession based um, it's it simplifies the game in a lot of ways you know the, like hockey you're, just, you're not dumping it into the zone you're right. not trying to kick for territory you know it's it's catch run and try and score. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, it's the perfect version for an American audience. Right. Right. You know, if you look at, um, you turn a sevens game on TV and you, you you've watched an, one American football game before in your life, you're going to understand what's happening in sevens in roughly 30 seconds. So, you know, to your question on where that next great American rugby star is going to come, almost certainly in rugby sevens. Right. Right. That's you know the, when you actually look at the history of the game. Um, Perry Baker, right, is a two-time World 7s player of the year. Um, He's played in PR 7s. Uh, he is a crossover athlete, ex-Philadelphia Eagles uh, cornerback practice squad player, not the right body type for the sport, crossed over into rugby and just absolutely dominated on the yeah. world stage, right? Those type of athletes, you know, it's, it's the type of sport that you can pick up in your late 20s, or your, sorry, your early 20s. Um, and, you know, if you have that athletic background, you have that, you know, you know I guess, experience and expertise in a certain sport uh, that translates really well because it's not that type of sport where you need to be you know, shooting pucks or or making, you know, throwing pitches from three years old on. You know, you can pick it up at a later date and, and excel at the highest level. So we really think sevens is the, you know, the game for, you know, that that's really going to succeed in America specifically for that reason. Now,
1: get ready, because this sport is going to grow even more in the U.S., in the Olympics I want to say 2028 am I yep, right about that yep, yep. That's and right. then uh, Rugby World Cup in 2031 which well first it'd be of all, nice what? if we made the cut for 2031 like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not like this yeah. year <laughs> I'm I just I'm amazed by the sport itself uh, you know and and I know yes it is fun it's mm-hmm. fun to watch and, and in this version yes there is some fun but like you said man you got to Dude who was a backup quarterback for the Eagles, man, and he's coming out there. I'm running the other damn way. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I say that? I just... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's... Again, I have nothing but uh, accolades for the men and women that play this sport. Have they come to you about, you know, certain things, maybe about, you know, safety or things like that?
4: Yeah, I mean, safety obviously is is a... Part of of the game, I think, in in a lot of ways, it's probably the biggest differentiator from football, and in a lot of key respects, you know, it, it's the game is is first and foremost a game of values, right? It's a it's a game of respect, a game of of, of integrity, uh, of respect for your opponent, for the referee, and 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 really everybody involved. Um, Part of that respect extends into you know the, your behavior on the field, mm-hmm. right? You know the way in which you engage, right? You know, there, people aren't launching themselves like missiles into people. It's <laughs> it's just not it's not the way that you know it doesn't make sense, right? You hurt yourself, you hurt the other player, um, and, and so it's it's you know th- there's a a culture of of um, you know of, of safety and, and, and kind of respecting the other player um, as part of as part of the game, but but really I think even beyond that, the game has been at the forefront of. Making the rules and, and adjusting the rules to be increasingly more safe uh, as as we you know as, as it as it grows um, you know with from where you tackle there's no you know there's no blocking there's no um, tackling above the shoulder there's no tackling below the knee you have to wrap right all these little things actually do a lot to make the game significantly more safe than you might expect
0: and you get to wear really cool shirts as well um, <laughs> one thing about rugby is. The culture, the party vibe aspect to it, it's very inviting. It's very accessible to people who hear about it. And I think about the Rugby Sevens in Hong Kong, which I know, realize is professional rugby mm-hmm. and um, it's one stop on the world tour. But mm-hmm. anyone who goes there, they do don't—they might not know anything about rugby, but they come away really appreciating the game and the atmosphere. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this is an accessible sport that really invites people in?
4: The way that we think about our, our business, right? And how does how do we get more... People interested into the sport, right? It's rugby on its own is you know it's it's a great product. It's a real you know when if you can get people to see it, they're gonna love it, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I know that every every emerging sport says that, but I, I think for, you know, rugby probably in a lot of and rugby sevens in in particular, you know really kind of grabs your eyes when it's on TV. Um, you know, the, the big challenge for us is how do you get those people that are how do you get them to have that first touch point with with the sport and so you know part of what we are trying to do with with PR sevens um, is to you know really in, increase that kind of surrounding festival atmosphere and mm-hmm. ambiance right um, that's kind of what Hong Kong sevens is known for Dubai sevens London sevens um, you know we are you know we, the way that we've set up our match days um, has a Break built in the middle for live music, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll have um, Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears playing at our halftime show uh, in, in Austin. We have another act that'll be announced in Minnesota, but really, it's it's about live entertainment, right? It's and highly it's, experiential. It's highly experiential, right? And so, you know, when we think about our in-person product, we want that to have that festival atmosphere. We know that the distributed product and the content, you know, the highlights, the action will will speak for itself. But we want to make sure that fans that You know, we have a hook to get fans that might say, oh, I'm not really sure about this, or, you know, that there's actually, we're pushing them over the edge to make that decision and have that first rugby experience. Um you know then the next step there i think is to then kind of get them into the ecosystem potentially maybe you know getting kids to play down the road you know but that's that's i think a big part of what we're what we're trying to build
2: well and let's talk about rugby 7 so you just mentioned it right june 17th, season starts austin texas mm-hmm. goes through the summer ends in uh, i think august 6th in washington dc that's the championship right mm-hmm. so you know you've got broadcast partners so i think it's cbs and fox sports mm-hmm. right yep. um that you know you, you know your that, yeah, your audience can can see the matches i mean right like if i want to see ben pinkelman cody melfi i mean mm-hmm. how if I, if I, you've sold me. How am I? How am I going to see them? How many cities are you going to have events in? How often is it going to air? Is it a weekly? Tour? I mean, how, how often?
4: Yeah. So, so this year we'll have. I mean, we, we've the kind of quick history of our, our our competition is we're you know we're one of the first domestic rugby sevens competitions out there. Um, kind of filling a you know part of that that pyramid that that didn't previously exist and kind of uh, looking to to create that incremental. Um, opportunity for players to play, but also for fans to, I think, have a, have a touch point with the sport. Um, we started with a one-off you know, pilot tournament in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Grew that to, to three stops last year. Um, this upcoming summer, we'll be doing a five-stop circuit. Um, we've uh, we've doubled the league in size um, just because of the interest and the, the excitement. Um, we've gone gone to uh, eight franchises, which each have a men's team and a women's team, um, and they'll play in two conferences, kind of alternating throughout the summer. So it's you know almost a semi weekly type of of event throughout the summer. We'll be going to Austin, Minneapolis is the first two legs. San Jose and Pittsburgh, the the last two, and then the top teams from each uh, conference will come and compete in the championship in DC. Got it. Um, You know, it'll be distributed on CBS Sports Network and FS1. Um, Those the uh, the broadcasts will kind of uh, go back and forth. Um, You know, really exciting for us in a lot of ways because you know, as I was mentioning before. The idea of being able to get the sport in front of an audience, right? You know, people, the the trend away from you know from linear to digital. People, you know, I guess talk about that all the time. But you know, there's still such a massive audience out there on linear television, and for us to be able to take rugby sevens, put that in front of people, you know, a a, you know the distilled version of rugby with the highlights, the hits, the action, the fun. Um, it, it, it really, I think, is gonna be a special summer for us just to be able to expose so many Americans to seeing that for the first time.
2: And then it feeds right into the Rugby World Cup, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's just perfect on the timing side. And, and you know, I, I just have to ask what we have here about the World Cup. I think France is the favorite, according to Vegas, to uh, to
4: win the World Cup. Um, who do you like this year? You know, it's hard, and I, we have a, a number of of uh, Kiwis in our competition, <laughs> so I think they'll probably, you know, and, and actually in our, in our company, um, and they will get a little upset with me if I don't lean a certain way. Um, but you know, I, I, I the I, Irish are looking pretty good too. Okay. The Irish, yeah, Irish. The Irish look great. Um, you know, I w- I think everybody would love to see a, a Scotland dark horse bid to you know uh, you know. C- well, who are the two Chile and
2: Portugal? Right? Or, or, you know are back? I mean, like you know Chile's first time. Yeah. In, in the, you are a fire starter. Yeah, can,
4: there's a lot of Americans going to be really upset when you talk about Chile. And in Portuguese rugby because <laughs> yeah. that's a that's an open wound at the yeah, moment. Yeah, still, yeah. so um, yeah. uh, I'm going to put this
1: question in the eloquent Walter Cronkite esque way. How do you make money out of this, man?
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it, you know we are a different. I think one of the the different ways that we're set up as a okay. as a competition, right, is that we are a combined true single entity, right? You know, I think when we look at where the trends in the sports business are going right. We're kind of perfectly positioned for those, right? You look at the uh, investment coming into women's sports. Right. We're one of the first uh, sports based off of gender equity from the get go. The audience for women's sports that's coming. Um, you know, we're one of the first. Um, you know, I mean, first professional women's rugby of any kind in North America, um, and really, you know, I think when you know it'll be the type of thing where you see a full contact women's sport played on TV. That's a that's a different type yeah. of thing that people that have they haven't seen before. Um, you know Ooh. the the short nature of the game. You know sevens games are only fourteen minutes long. They're tournament style format, right? Sports are getting shorter. They're getting more. They're getting faster. They're getting quicker. We uh, we we fit that. Um, the immersive live event experiences. The you know the ticket sales component. The the butts and seats. You know that's that's a that's a part of that. Um, and then the gaming, right? You know we are. You know, I think the one of the best possible products out there for sports betting, right? You know, there's a full time outcome every 14 minutes. Um, you get eight of those in a day. Um, it's you know for it's a sports betters' dream. You know, I say it's almost kind of you know comparable to what you might expect for you know the first weekend of March Madness, right? And you get a lot of that mm-hmm. that kind of really frequent outcomes. And I know that I see the smile there on the sports betting yes. side, which is you yes, wheels <laughs> are turning in Barr's head.
0: Do we have a, a, a good yeah. chant for? I mean. The chants are important, right? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! Oi, oi, oi! Oh yeah! That for for the Australian team are th- just talking about that festival atmosphere. What have you seen in terms of uh, cultural things that have cropped up as a result of of rugby games?
4: Matches, yeah. sorry, matches. I think some of the big things you see at sevens festivals, right? One of the one of the things is um, you know from a from a you know. Fans dress up in costumes. Yeah. Very, you know, it. it uh, one of the kind of, I'd say one of the better ones I've seen, and I know because I was. this was back in the day when I when I went to uh, the old Las Vegas Sevens when they came through here. Um, we did Will Ferrell characters. So we had, uh, you know, people, we had a Buddy the Elf. Uh, we had a Bugatu, uh-huh. um, You know, people, you know, and that's kind of a, a theme that rugby sevens fans are known to incorporate. You know, they pick a, you know, a group costume and show up all together. Um, there are sing-alongs. You know, you get an in-stadium host that will be, uh, you know pitch you know leading leading uh, you know like a sweet caroline or something mm-hmm. like that with the crowd mm-hmm. um you know there'll be you know all sorts of fun and games you know the the cornhole tournaments the other you know kind of adjacent programming that um, really makes it you know i think a special atmosphere for a lot of people to um you know to, to connect to
1: once well, again thank you so much for joining us on the bloomberg business of sports up next on the show boxing promoter and matchroom president eddie hearn breaks down how to put together a successful boxing event that is coming up you're listening to bloomberg radio around the world Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. I had to wait till the drums came in. That's one of the best, (laughs) that's the best part of that song, man. It's fight time. Boxing in the U.S. is experiencing a resurgence. According to Statista, in 2021, 6.7 million U.S. Americans above the age of six years old practiced that sport at least once. And around 1.5 million of them did it in order to participate in a competition. That's the most in its history.
0: So joining us now to talk about world boxing and how to promote it properly is the president of Matchroom, Eddie Hearn. Eddie, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: I'll start this one off, Michael. When it comes to setting the scene for major boxing events, the background on the fighters involved is so critical. How do you ensure that the storytelling is part of the live event?
7: Well, the narrative of every event, every fight is built over a period of time. And really the success of the show in terms of ticket sales or, you know, live viewership or subscription is built through the narrative. So that starts a long time before. You know, as a promoter, you have to tell a story, really. I'm I'm a storyteller. All these stories have to unfold in the build up so that when you come on the night, those stories have been told, you know, and almost like those those viewers, those those spectators in the arena have already read the book. Now the in-vision experience within the arena for us is also important. So during the night, we're playing a lot of that shoulder programming and we're playing a lot of those VTs to just get that arena pump, live DJs, music, energy. You yeah. know, that, that live experience is important for the fans in the arena, but it's also important for the viewers as well, watching on the zone to, to make sure they get that energy as well. And, and that's our showcase as a business. Yeah. You know, every time we stage a live event, could be one across 10 different sports that we promote. That's our product.
2: But, but Eddie, isn't this more of the matchroom philosophy, right? You try to have these fights in a boxer's hometown, right? You did that with Canelo Alvarez in, in Guadalajara. You know, you talk to us a little bit about that methodology of, of doing that and what that brings to the, you know, in-person event itself.
7: I mean, isn't it so obvious? You know, yeah. like uh, that's the thing that baffled me coming to America to promote was that these guys don't get built in their hometown. You know, we know that some cities will bring extra dollars to the table. Las Vegas is a great example. I mean, you know, Canelo Alvarez had to take probably a $10 million pay cut to fight in Guadalajara yeah. overdoing it at the T-Mobile. But, you know, when you're building a fighter to get that energy that we talk about to get that passion it's very different like in in england we've been doing it for years if yeah. you're from liverpool you fight in liverpool yeah. if you're from yeah. manchester you fight in manchester if you're from philadelphia you don't fight in la what yeah. how can you expect the people yeah. To be behind you, home field and, advantage is critical. Yeah, but also like last week, we we're in New Orleans with Regis Progro. You know, it's his first fight there in five years. This is a world champion, and yeah. it's a lot easier to sell tickets. It's a lot easier to create interest, to drive enthusiasm and atmosphere when it's your own. And that, as a viewer, yeah. you're watching this live event, going, "Wow, this is a big event. Mm-hmm. Look at the atmosphere in there." And that—that's really what live sports about. The Olympics mm. is something that's
1: really important yeah. to introduce fans to boxing, to the art
7: of the game. Yeah, and also about development of the sport through grassroots and actually encouraging people to participate in the sport. I think at the top end, at the elitist level of the sport, there's a perception that boxing is prize fighting, and it is. But also, we're big supporters and believers that actually boxing within the community changes young people's lives and their directions. It teaches them a lot of things that are missing from youth today, discipline, respect, right. manners, physical uh, activity, you know, mental clarity, all this kind of stuff.
2: Well, Eddie, when I think of live boxing matches, you know, I used to think of those events in Vegas, like you said, where you could never get a ticket, you couldn't hope to get a ticket, but you've you've promoted events in Wembley, 80 to 90,000 mm. people in Arlington, Texas, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. 73,000 people. I think the largest indoor you know boxing mm. match ever you know but then you talk about having these kind of smaller local venues talk to us about how the mayor of fresno renamed <laughs> october 16th eddie Hernandez. well i mean talk to us about there's
7: that. a really embarrassing story about that actually so <laughs> i I'm, do you know, tell. Yeah, yeah so i'm yeah. in fresno um it was mikey garcia was fighting there <laughs> and we're up on the stage and and then you know one of my team come over and said listen the mayor's got something for you it's a pretty big deal and I said, "What's that?" You know. And they said, "Look, they want October the I think it was the October the 16th. It was during COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's just coming through the back of COVID, okay. and it was like a first sort of live event back. They want Saturday night to be Eddie Hernday, Day, October <laughs> the sixteenth. You know, so I was like, "Wow!" They came up, they gave me a plaque, and it said October sixteenth in Fresno, Eddie Hearn Day. And I was like, I said to my team, you know, make sure you don't schedule. An event on October 16th next year because we should come back you every go. year. Yes. Of course. And they said no, it's just this year. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, it's actually it's just an in annual. 2021, <laughs> I think it was. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I was going to say I've been keeping that secret, but I've just told everyone. So uh, you know, it, uh, it was, well, it was we'll only Eddie Hearn day for one day. It was a great day.
0: What's the biggest difference from where you sit um, in terms of the energy between a fight that's staged uh, in a stadium with 80,000, 90,000 seats versus a smaller, more intimate setting where you know everyone feels like maybe you know they're within 30 40 feet of the actual ring yeah I
7: I think that a hardcore boxing fan will always prefer that intimacy yeah and I'm in a bubble I'm in my own world so you could I could be it could just be me watching these fights you know but like when you do 90,000 at Wembley or we did Dallas Cowboys Arlington 76,000 Guadalajara a couple of weeks ago 55,000 you kind of look around and you just think, what is going on here? You know, it's quite yeah. a hallucinogenic experience where I think the hardcore boxing fan isn't a fan of those eighty, ninety thousand right, 90,000 because right. they want their own little world, you know. But as a spectacle, I mean, when we talk about growing our business, when we talk about growing the sport, those nights are our most powerful. Right? You know, when we turn around and we say, right, tonight we're in Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. yep. you know, and I'm looking around and and, and the images are going worldwide of, mm-hmm. you know, that's Matchroom and that's, that's Eddie Hearn and that's... That's us. Continues to put on the biggest shows globally, so that's for us the massive box tick. But I also do like the intimacy. I mean, Madison Square Garden is only four thousand.
8: Yeah,
2: that's an intimate a great, It is,
7: but it's a great little. I mean, the energy is amazing. Mm.
2: Eddie, can I can I just ask you? I got to ask this question. I know I hate to get serious, but it is a question I think that's kind of relevant given the day and age we're in. You know, you got a bit of heat for Ruiz Joshua too. Mm. It took place in Saudi Arabia. Mm wonder if you could talk to us a little bit. You know, are there any takeaways that that left you with, given what's going on? Yeah, it was quite... Live, the yeah. PGA.
7: It was quite challenging because it was at a time as well. I mean, we're looking back, we're talking about four years ago now, yeah. where... Same thing, uh, you know, though. It was yeah, human rights, probably even yeah, more so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's difficult. I don't like to just distance boxing from other sports. But when we, what we talked about earlier, it is prize fighting. Right, And when others are there already, not to pass the buck, but when WWE are there, you know, at the time, PGA were in there, you know, staging events, Formula One were doing big deals with them. I looked at it and I was like, guys, we're just staging a fight. Yeah, You know, and it's very difficult. My job is to maximize the income of a fighter in a short career and provide them with the biggest opportunities. And when I'm saying to Anthony Joshua, you've got $20 million to fight Andy Ruiz at MSG, or 60 million to fight him in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. It's a very short conversation. <laughs> and actually, I'm not really doing my job if I don't deliver that opportunity. You know, it's
2: an interesting point you make, though, to, you know, pugilism and human rights. You know, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're talking golf, which is, you know, another game or sport, however you want to look at it, within the context of human rights, it took on a very, very
7: different... Mm-hmm. I'm just pointing out. You know that what out. I will say, though, having been there, I've, I've staged two fights in Saudi Arabia. Right. The people behind the growth of boxing in Saudi Arabia, have a massive passion for boxing. Grassroots participation has gone up nearly 600% since that fight. I saw with my own eyes when we returned there last year for Usyk against Joshua, it was a completely Mm. different place, right? Kids were out, girls were out, women were out. We were going to local boxing clubs. So, you know, I get asked the question all the time about sports washing. I have to say, I've seen what live sport has done to make changes in that country. Do there need to be more changes? Of course. I'm not going to sit here and say everything's fine over there. But I've seen with my own eyes yeah. sport change, you know, young people in in Saudi Arabia. And you know, we're now negotiating another fight there, which is Joshua Wilder for December.
2: Yeah, I mean, for somebody to, with deep pockets to come in there and, and rattle the system a bit, I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I take your point. I agree.
1: Eddie Hearn, president, Matchroom Sport. Oh, my goodness. Eddie, thank you so much, man. Thank you. For coming on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Up next on the show, Scarlett sits down with Next in Sports hosts Jason Kelly and Vanessa Perdomo to discuss the latest from their show as they focus on the popular Gating game, cornhole. <laughs> oh, I'm, I've been waiting for this. Where's my money? That's next on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Boo and Damian Sassauer. This is Bloomberg.
5: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
6: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
0: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we cover the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And today we are bringing in Bloomberg's Vanessa Perdomo and Jason Kelly, who have a new series called Next in Sports. And their latest episode focuses on, I don't know if it's a sport, an activity? I would gladly say that it's. I wouldn't call it a sport either. <laughs> it's a competition for sure. And that would be on cornhole. And cornhole is... I mean, this is the game that people play when they go tailgating.
9: Right. Yeah, it is. So it's necessarily a drinking game or like a backyard game. But listen, I mean, anything is a sport. If you decide to make it one, I think that's something that we've seen a lot when we're filming this series. And if you take it seriously enough, which they do, and these players, athletes, if you so call them, (laughs) work really hard. They do, you know, and they practice their craft a lot. And, and they're really and good. They're really good. They're
8: really. I mean, I think we can both attest to the fact they are a crazy good at. I mean, it does take an amazing amount of concentration, hand-eye coordination, focus. I mean, just that sounds like all skill. All of it. I mean, there, there definitely is definitely skill. There is real skill to it. And I mean, if we gauge what's a sport by what's on ESPN, it's a huge hit on ESPN. <laughs> it was like true. the pandemic hit.
9: It is, and every time. We talked to someone about it. They were like, "Oh yeah, definitely watch on ESPN, hundred percent."
0: And part of that is because during the pandemic, when live sports shut down, um, the commissioner of this cornhole, the professional cornhole American
8: League? Cornhole League, okay, the ACL, thank you. Yep. ACL,
0: yes, he saw an opportunity and he managed to convince ESPN. I guess it wasn't very hard to convince ESPN, but he said, "Let's continue doing this."
8: Yeah, he he did it and basically said, "I can stand up." This is Stacy. He, he, he said, "We can stand up." Tournaments. I have the social distancing figured out. We obviously aren't going to have audiences. And ESPN. I mean, remember this is summer of 2020. They were desperate for. Mm -hmm. I mean, desperate probably understates how they felt about their lack of content. I mean, they they really needed stuff on the air. And I have to say, I mean, I certainly was one long before we worked on this story. You tune in and you're like, yeah, I I want to watch this. (laughs) I'm, I'm in.
9: It is kind of, ca- I mean, it's definitely captivating and something that is easily digestible as well, especially because of how many people do know how to play. How many do people play at tailgates and stuff? So you can definitely watch it, but when then you talk to the the athletes themselves and stuff, and they are not the ones who are playing at the tailgate. They they're better, mm-hmm. and it's funny listening to them hear people talk to them about oh, I th- I would I could definitely beat you, you know? And they're like, I don't think so. So here's the thing
0: that had me uh, really mesmerized, was that you had men in suits talking to you about Cornhole being the next potential, next NFL, which, you know, at the start of the video, I kind of was like, really? How, how on earth is that going to happen? What is the business model here for Cornhole being a profitable enterprise? So I think...
8: I was in that interview with Jim Simmons, who's one of the um, backers of this league, and he said it with a straight face. Um, and I think he means it in the sense that if you think about the potential of all the people who could play this game, it's massive. It has not really gone global yet. They're trying to do that. They're they're in Europe a bit, but they want to take it even more global. Um, to me, one of the most interesting bits about it, I think – Vanessa feels the same way. Is that they essentially own the sport too? So they have you know all these licensing and marketing deals. And so if you're buying an official cornhole board, like that's going back to them. They they have a real control. Um,
9: they sell the bean bags. They, they sell, sell the board. Yeah, bean exactly. Backer. It's the it's the bags. It's the boards. And you would be shocked at how many bags, how many different kinds of bags there are. Yeah. And Really? that they're they're allowed to use them. Right. Like you don't they don't have to use the same ones competing against each other. And I would t- there's dozens h- not hundreds of different kinds of bags. So that's its own revenue stream right there, which when we played me and Jason played with the pros and we d- used different kinds, and I will say it made me really want to get like official bags because it felt very different.
8: Yeah, and it when you're playing with professionals, first of all, they're really good. Um second of all, like <laughs> the the field of play is typically Much longer than you set up at you know your backyard tailgate or or your backyard or a tailgate, Um, and it is uh, it's really difficult. One of one of my favorite things about it was talking to this guy um, Trey Ryder, who has been called the Tony Romo of cornhole. Um, And part of that is because so he became. By the way, this guy graduated summa cum laude from Clemson uh, in chemical engineering. He's like a super smart guy, Mm -hmm. Uh, but now he works for the American Cornhole League in part because his dad. Told him like this is where you know like you could be really good at this as a commentator. He basically told him you're not good enough to play. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> professionally? a trained
0: chemical engineer. Yes, um, does not play cornhole, but he does the color commentary. He for plays cornhole.
8: cornhole, but he's not good enough to be like oh, on the okay. circuit. Uh-huh. Um, he's really good, um, but he is now like the, the guy who. Voice. And if you watch the games that he is calling like he he's just like Tony Roman. like he would be like okay and he'll draw like with a telestrator like this is where the bag's gonna go mm-hmm. and this is what he's gonna do and he's gonna you know try and block here he's gonna do that I mean it's it's remarkable
9: yeah the athletes said that they can actually hear him because in this stage of their production it looks great on TV but they're very close to each other mm-hmm. so the table's right there and they said they can often hear him like so it gets in their head a little bit. They probably are thinking the exact same thing, but it's almost that thing where you almost want to prove him wrong because you're like, I don't want to listen to your inside my head right now.
0: When you were talking to the athletes, Vanessa, did anyone talk about Baggate, that the cheating scandal that took place in Cornhole? Apparently there were some bags that were maybe too small and too light. They were not regulation size, and this caused like a lot of controversy, a lot of scandals uh, in late
9: 2022. Oh, that's very interesting. They did not talk to me about that. Yeah,
8: I know a little bit about, I mean, they um, say that it wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there was a whole back and forth about it. But it also, I mean, in some ways, to me, it shows that this is a sport that people are taking seriously because anytime <laughs> anybody's trying to sort of hedge it, I mean, there is real, you know, there is real money involved. I mean, they're, it's getting to the point. I mean, you, we, we talked with one person who is, I mean, I think making a living.
9: Oh, right. Yes, absolutely. One of them. They make enough I, money
0: playing cornhole professionally?
9: Yes. Yeah. So the number one uh, female in the world at the time, I think the rankings might have shifted a little bit, but her name Cheyenne Bubenheim, and she. Is a hundred percent a cornhole professional. That's all she does. That's mm-hmm. she makes enough money from her prize money from all the events they have all year long. And she said she's never played another sport before in her life. She was a competitive person, but never really was an athlete. And this is her life. She trains with six hours or so. She practices a day. six she, hours a day. She practices around you know uh, about that amount of time, mm-hmm. um, and she uses she's such a pro we played she gave me some lessons she's really good in very humble but also in the way that her strategy was I'm just gonna shoot it straight in the hole and I know they're gonna miss before I do Mm -hmm. and then uh, Jason played with someone who his strategy was to block the hole so he was going with a very different strategy but when we played she was right she did not miss a single (laughs) one she did not miss one yeah.
8: And, and you guys incredible. won. And we won. And Vanessa beat me. Just because I know we're keeping score, or yeah. at least we're keeping score. We are like, keep, yeah, well, yeah. Among um,
0: all the different sports that you guys try um, next in sports, Vanessa's in the lead right now?
8: Yeah. Uh I think you're in the lead right now. I'm in the lead. More to come.
0: <laughs> One Stay thing, tuned. You you had mentioned that this is a very American activity or sport, although they are trying to expand. A lot of this depends on whether people play this in their backyard, whether they do this at tailgating. Europe doesn't really have a tailgating culture, does it?
8: No, not,
5: not in the as, same
0: way.
8: Not in the same way. And so we'll see sort of where where it picks up. I mean, it is a very social game. It is very easy to, to pick up. I mean, my own experience with it was, you know, uh, to last summer and and the summer before that, I had kids graduate from high school. And so I was on, like, the grad party circuit. And, mm-hmm. I mean, let me tell you, like – the the dad intensity around this sport <laughs> uh, is high ref. high level and I mean we also saw it so we were in Phoenix right before the Super Bowl um, for the wait for it Super Hole uh, tournament that's the name of the tournament that's yeah. the name of the tournament mm. uh, and we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick he was playing we talked with him a, l- a little bit about it and like just about everything else he's super into it he's and super into he it. lost and I don't I wouldn't say he was mad, but he was like intent on getting back on the Oh, he court. was like,
9: I just wanna keep playing. Yeah. He was he was definitely upset that he lost because he just wanted to keep yeah. playing all night. But I think that, you know, to your point, Scar about it being a little American, how you get it to become European, because one of the things that we noticed while we were there was the essence of Americana around yeah. the sport Good is point. really Evident, mm-hmm. and one of their biggest sponsors is Bush's Baked Beans, and you just have this very American feel, so I don't actually know how... They would have to change it, yeah. is my point, to get a big European market. Right, um, one of the big sausage companies is...
8: Johnsonville Brats, man. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. absolutely. Johnsonville Sausages. I mean... I- I guess the other side of that is, you know, there are a lot of places who love anything American. And I mean, nothing's more American than this. Yeah, lean into it, right? Lean into it, yeah. All American all the time.
0: All right. I mean, it was was really eye-opening because clearly this is something that a lot of people... It's accessible, first of all, and a lot of people play it. um, You know, at backyard parties and whatnot. And also, it's got the viewers right from those Mm -hmm. those weeks in the summer of 2020 when people had nothing better to do than to watch ESPN. Not that they had nothing better to do. If they wanted to watch some live competition, that was where you found it. Absolutely um, on ESPN. So you know, it's somehow proven to be very durable. Yes. All right. Well, Cornhole. You be sure to check it out. Next in Sports premieres Wednesdays on Bloomberg Television at 10 p.m. Eastern. It's also available through YouTube and Bloomberg.com the following day, where, of course, you can catch previous installments. Everything is on demand.
1: Thank you, Scarlett. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, and we'd like to thank our guests, Terrell Harris, Owen Scannell, and Eddie Hearn for joining us on the show this week. And thank you for listening. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Dick Barr Sports,
0: And I'm on Twitter at Foo.
2: And I'm on Twitter at the Sass hour.
1: Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
6: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.